Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. These are the first six words in the passage you just heard. This reasoning for Jesus going to the wilderness gives me pause. The reasoning directly given is that he was led by the Holy Spirit and he was there in order to be tempted. But why does he need this? Is it realization? What does he have to prove? What does Jesus, the Son of God, have to prove? Maybe just that. He is the Son of God. That was born unto him. We hear very little about Jesus from the time he is born to the time he is baptized, but besides a book called Lamb, but that may not be so accurate. And we don't hear a lot from him for 30 years. His work has yet to start. He has much to do, and maybe that third temptation would have been tempting to prove that God loves him by throwing himself off, or the first to prove his power by turning a stone into bread, or the second to take power. But he does not waver, and he stays true to what he knows, which is scripture. I would like to talk about faith. And right here, Jesus has faith. He has faith in his God shown through patience. I mean, if I had to go that long without food, if I had to go 40 days, there's no way I would turn down turning a stone into bread. But again, why does he need to go through this? Why does the Holy Spirit lead him there? And why does Jesus trust the Holy Spirit to lead him there? Personally, I fall into the trap of making a lot of things black and white in that I need an answer. I need a better answer than Jesus was just led by the Holy Spirit. I need an answer from all the colleges I've applied to, which should come within the next two weeks for all the people who keep asking. Don't worry. But I need an answer where I'm going to be for the next four years. I need a plan. But why does the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness? This is a difficulty with faith. At least this is a difficulty I have with faith. It's not easy to believe in something that you can't see. I mean, I don't know for sure whether or not his God is real. The concept of the Holy Spirit is something we cannot see, but it is something that we can feel. I struggled with my faith a little when I was trying not to fall asleep during a biology class in online school. But what I began to realize was that I did have trust that things would get better. I trusted that God would help guide me through this. I don't think faith means leaning on God to make everything better, but leaning on God when you need to is more than okay. It's dangerous to always lean on God as so much of what needs to be done can and should be done by people on earth. Faith is trusting that things can get better and that everything will be okay. God may guide us, but we must do the work. Jesus knew this. Jesus accepted the guidance. He went into the wilderness. He stayed strong. And after all that, as time in the wilderness, he went on to help better other people's lives. So however much I struggle with this faith, being in a community like this that brings people together is amazing. I will continue to struggle with my faith. I know I will. But I will also trust God and trusting that something out there will help things. And if I listen, then I can help people too. Hi, my name is Caleb Meyerhoff. I go to Cherry Creek High School. Um, today, I want to talk to you guys about bread. Do you know what would be pointless, aside from a broken pencil? A literal interpretation of Luke 4. As Christ ventures into the desert, the devil tempts him, stating, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. To which Jesus replied, One does not live by bread alone. 
I'm aware that more than just carbohydrates are needed for our bodies to function, despite how delicious and wonderful they are. However, Jesus' response stands out to me drastically. Everyone, who here got a lot of toys on Christmas Day, uh, including adults in this room? There's not a lot of kids here today. Anyway, there's some. Good. Um, Who here gets super excited when they open a gift that they ask for? A few, all right. So when the gift is first received, the toys mean the world to us. After being opened, or on second glance, they're not as exciting as when they were first opened. And eventually, the toys that we were so excited about are further neglected over time, and newer toys replace them and are favored. Let's talk about bread again. Bread will always replenish us physically, but hunger will eventually return. A repetitive consumption of three meals a day for an entire lifetime must be cycled in order to fuel our bodies. I recall one of Ian's sermons back in the day when they were a bit lengthier, distinguishing happiness and joy. In short, he described happiness, or the state of being happy, as a temporary condition, and joy, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness, as a constant. Happiness is inevitably felt, but joy is a developed attitude that defines circumstance. Happiness requires no practice, unlike joy. It can be that sudden, overwhelming rush of serotonin and dopamine when you get the job you want, buy new clothes, go on a vacation, etc. It derives from temporary moments that fill us up and give us feelings of happiness connected to that very moment, meaningful or materialistic, until that moment ends. Joy comes from gratitude for what in life is good, which can include those sudden moments of happiness, but it comes from an acceptance that life has its imperfections as well. Should we really think of Christ's words as a sentiment on bread or as what gives the soul everlasting joy? Finding joy in life is an art form that requires a lifetime of practice. Maybe that lifetime of practice is 40 years wandering in the desert, tempted to rely only on happiness or the bread of life to sustain oneself. Everyone wonders why my generation is so anxious, so miserable, so unhappy. There is no unhealthier phrase to say to someone than, I just want you to be happy. With the science of terrible mental health against many my age, that phrase already sets up finding happiness for failure. At my school, counselors have been incredibly passionate about promoting ways to be a happier person. I can tell you now, the lectures are not interesting, and it's pretty artificial advice. It's expectation to be happy, perfectly happy, all the time. It isn't just present in my school life. It's all over social media. Photos posted on numerous profiles full of smiles and sparkles, even if that doesn't authentically express what a person is going through. No wonder the divorce rates are so high, too. This expectation for perfection is common in in romantic relationships. I mean, it's impossible to keep that standard of perfect happiness all of the time. However, that expectation, it's been present way before Disney ended a story with, and they lived happily ever after. Happiness is unhealthily pressured to be sought out in life, but when life inevitably gets unhappy sometimes, happiness, seeking happiness, isn't enough. 
Obtaining joy is, I'd love to say that I practice what I preach and that I've got it all figured out, but of course I don't. I often rely too much on the bread of life or short bursts of happiness. Obtaining joy is a game of patience that I have yet to really start playing for. My life has been a series of, I'll be happy when I get this. I'll be happy when I finish writing this song. I'll be happy when this miserable year ends. Or I'll be happy when I finish writing this sermon and get some sleep. Maybe I am happy for a while when I confirm what will bring me happiness, but it's inevitable to move on to what will bring me more of those feelings next, where I'm going to get this bread next. You can forget everything I just said and claim that Jesus' denying of the devil's request was truly about food, carbohydrates, if you will, but think about the bread of your life and imagine what you can appreciate beyond its dough and crust. What does finding joy and not just happiness mean to you? I'm nervous. Heart is racing right now. Finally on this side of the room. Um, my name is Alan Harder. I've been coming here for about 12 years now, 13, I think, soon. Um, anywho, uh, good morning. So a month back or so, I had a sub in my thesis class. He was formerly the weight, uh, weightlifting teacher at East in my freshman year. He went by Coach Karsh. I don't remember his first name. Um, the tallish guy kind of yelled a lot. But after introducing himself, Coach Karsh immediately went on to address college, which uh, was confusing because we were in a thesis class and it had been a long day. Um, but a lot of the subs that we have don't really get into that nitty-gritty stuff, um, let alone college. But uh, if I can recollect, he said to me three very important words um, that I'm still thinking about today. That being, who am I? And in those following days, those questions lingered, and I had to, I had to try to wrestle with them. And I contemplated, what are the things that I want to do that are going to be enough not necessarily for those that I even care about, but even for those that look at me as just a person. Whether that be to inspire, to care for others, to make money for myself and my family. I really didn't know what that purpose was. So when Amanda gave me the scripture for this Sunday about the temptation of Jesus, it reminded me of that question that he had asked a month ago. Jesus was in solitude for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. But as we all know, the devil was not successful. It also had reminded me of the story of Sisyphus, as you all know, uh, one of my favorite Greek mythologies. And I think a very important lesson that we should all know. Um, but anyways, he escapes death twice. 
And as a punishment of the gods, he has to roll a boulder up a hill, up and down, up and down, continuously for eternity. And it reminded me of Jesus because in those 40 days, he, cont- uh, he continuously struggled. He was starving, being tempted by the devil. He was at the lowest of the low. However, in that contemplation and in that state of being, in that misery, he was able to see that everything was going to be okay. That, that idea in which that everything may just seem absurd, whether it be pushing up a hill, I mean, you know, boulder up a hill, or, you know, starving to death for 40 days, or losing friends, moving on, it may all seem absurd to you. But in that absurdity, one philosopher, Albert Camus, expresses that oneself must embrace the human condition. And that condition, whether it being an anger, frustration, or just simply just that absurdity, just that notion, that, that idea of being okay is just enough. Just enough for us to keep going, to keep pushing that sheer perseverance and not engaging with the devil is just enough. Jesus and Sisyphus, uh, their determination in adversity and hardship proved that even in life's most difficult, most absurd moments, our purpose is to keep going in our, ex- in our state of existence and just being. And sometimes that's just enough. So when I'm asked, who am I? I realize that the state of being is sometimes just enough. And doing the things that may seem silly to you now is enough. The work that you put in now, the love that you have for your friends and family, and those summer days you spend by the pool lazily are just enough. They might not be glorious. They might not be ambitious in any way. They might not be helpful. But they're just simple and they're admirable moments in our lives that make our lives so meaningful. My days of being a high schooler are numbered, and it honestly scares me. Losing friends scare me. Um, Going to college, moving on scares me, and changing scares me. And honestly, I still don't know how to navigate through these things. But I do know every beginning always hides themselves in the ends. And so right now in my struggles and adversities, I will patiently just be and accept where I am right now in the moment. And I hope you do too. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Ellison Macharski, and I attend Denver East High School. For as long as I can remember, I have seen Momfu as a place where each of us can be surrounded by people who accept us for who we are and who we want to be. A place where each of us can follow our passions and resist the whispers of conformity that lay in the back of each of our minds. A place that shields us from the outside pressures and expectations that are placed on each of our shoulders. 
Jesus resists the urges of this temptation when he says to the devil, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. God is the only one who holds the expectations and requirements of the person who we need to be. This is great news because God accepts each and every one of us for exactly who we are. So how do you learn how to become your true self, free from all the expectations that we as a society hold so dear? Freeing yourself from the conformity of society means learning how to follow your own passions and dreams, to allow yourself to write your own story, not society, not your parents or partner, you. I came to this realization over COVID when I was stuck at my house, thinking about all of the things that I missed. The one thing that stuck out the most was Montview. I began to realize how much this community shaped who I am today and how Montview helped me realize who I truly was. Service trips to Ghost Ranch taught me the importance of hard work and helping others. Whether painting a basketball court for a kids club, rejuvenating a mile-long fence, or weeding a garden in a monk convention, I learned how much good even the smallest actions can bring. Music and mask, pulpit players, and youth choir taught me how to be loud and make my voice heard. My third grade teacher had to tell me on multiple occasions to stop yelling and talk normally. And looking back now, I think that had a lot to do with Dennis Scholl standing in the way back of the sanctuary every Sunday in January, belting at me and my fellow actors to be louder or that he couldn't hear us past the third pew. But I also learned the importance of joy, hard work, and doing what I love. One of my earliest Montview memories was during the music and mask performance of Fiddler on the Roof and how my sister and I could never remember all of the adults' names in the show, so we started calling people by the names of the characters they played. I still call John Gardner Laser Wolf to this day. Reaching out my hands to help others in need, using my voice to advocate for what I believe, hard work in living a life full of joy and love, are the values that Montview taught me to hold close to my heart, helping lead me away from temptation and into the unknowns of each tomorrow. No matter where you are in your life, from a high schooler about to leave behind the only life that you know, to an adult with three kids and a steady job, begin to let the spark inside of you lead the way. Let go of always wanting to take the well-taken path and learn to do what makes you smile. Resisting temptation is being satisfied with where you are in your life and learning to find joy throughout the journey. Resisting temptation is knowing that you are enough and only you holds the key to your next big adventure. <laughs>